Okay. Okay. Welcome to a terrible Bible study. This is going to be terrible, y'all. So just buckle up, okay? Last week, uh, when y'all had to talk about, well, two weeks ago when Megan taught and it was about the tongue, that was bad enough. Now we're meddling in your money, okay? So get ready. Um, uh, not only your money, but your daytimer, your calendar, whatever you want to say. It's just right now I'm a wimp and a scaredy cat. So I am depending on God to make me brave because, and also I tried not to wear my most expensive top today. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to wear so and so. I went, no, nah, I just really can't. I can't do it. I'm just, I'm a loser. So um, last week when Lisa taught, we talked about humility and we're going to need humility to even listen to this lesson, much less follow what James is asking us to do. And the bottom line I want us to think about, and really this is throughout James, is my life God-centered or me-centered? And that, just, just remember that in the back of your head. As you struggle, that's the question. Is this God-centered or me-centered? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read our passage. We're going to have like three chunks that we're going to talk about. I'm going to read a chunk of the, our passage, talk about that, then read the next chunk, and we're going to divide it up that way. So if you turn to James, we'll start, um, and you can look in your book or in your Bible, um, verse 13. Come now, ye who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So the first point I want us to talk about is who is in the driver's seat of your life? And the big question is, and she really does a good job in the homework of bringing this to, to the forefront, is, is your heart presumptuous? And what does this look like for us? Um, none of us, well, some of us may be contemplating a big buy and sell event, um, like in the Bible verses we just read. But what does this look like, especially for women in this room? Well, it could look like, well, my kid is going to go to so-and-so school and it's going to graduate with so-and-so grades and it's going to get into this so-and-so college, okay? Or I'm going to live in such and such neighborhood in Fort Worth and I'm going to have such and such flowers blooming on cue every spring. I have, of course, not realized that, so I've already been disappointed. <laughs> um, um, I put Woody Allen's quote, not that Woody Allen is a Christian or anything for our Bible study, but it is such a great saying. If you want to see God laugh, tell him of your plans. It's based on a Jewish proverb of, we plan, God laughs. And so much of my life, now that I am almost 55, I've had five kids, is I have, have learned the hard way that just because I plan it does not mean it will happen. And I think a lot of my struggle with God is my expectations not being met. And so, of course, why would I have thought that? Was that arrogance? Was that boasting? Um, because that's what it is, and James calls it evil. Um, you know, it makes no sense for us to do this. I can't even control my laundry. 
I can't control if my cake comes out right. Why do I think I can plan my life and it's going to happen just because I want it a certain way? Um, now, this is not about planning is wrong. Um, we can read the Proverbs. You can look at other passages. There is planning is good. This is more an assumption that you are in the driver's seat of your life. And not only are you not in the driver's seat, but it's a pretty short trip, y'all. Um, James says that our life is a mist. This morning, that kind of mistiness, almost like if you go to a lake and it's misty in the morning, but you know it's not gonna stay there. Once the sun really comes out, the mist disappears. That's what our life is like. And the closest thing I can think to like this is high school. High school feels like everything when you're in high school, doesn't it? It feels like the whole world is your high school. And it's hard to even imagine life beyond high school. And that's how I feel like our lives now. We cannot imagine life beyond this life. But as sure as you were munching on that kolache and sipping on Starbucks, one day you will not be here. One day you will have a reality that is different than this one. And now is the time to think about that lifetime. So, <coughs> Dan Doriani is the commentator I really use a lot for this. And he says, we forget that we're ignorant. We can't know everything. We forget that we're frail. We can't even keep ourselves from getting a cold, right? Um, and we're, we forget that we're dependent on God for, for everything. So if that's the case, why do I depend so much on my money? If God is really the source of all good things, why do I focus more on storing up goods than storing up goods for heaven? So that leads us into our next passage, um, and I'll start reading there in chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, kept, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So our second thing we're going to look, like, look at is a fat wallet. Now, first of all, who are the rich he is talking to? Some of the commentators think this is not a segment of the church. This is almost just reading this in the church context against those who have become rich through oppression. And that certainly can be the case. But it doesn't mean Christians don't do this. Um, and it could be that there were people in this church, in the churches, that fell in this category. And what's interesting is these people had become rich on the backs of other people. So there was oppression, there was fraud, um, there was stealing, so to speak, from the workers. They got it by oppression. So one of the things I think about is American slavery, how people became rich on the backs of people who were being stolen from, who were slaves, who had no option. 
um, that would have fallen in this category of a of a, a widespread oppressive thing, stealing, getting things by not following the rules. The rich in this case have an insatiable appetite for money, and they are using money to have what only God can provide, which is true rest. Now, this is not true for all rich people, but the way James presents this info, it is really hard, he is saying, to have money and not do this. So if you notice, James doesn't say, hey, by the way, all you rich people, look at all the good stuff you're doing. Just, just, you can just sit back and relax. He's not really saying that. He is so um, forceful and warning those of us who have a ton of money that it's dangerous to your walk with God. It is really hard to have money and be humble and be caring about other people. Now, one, in a room like this, we're going, well, I'm sorry, I shop at Target. I get all my clothes at Target, so you're not talking to me. Or I shop at Goodwill, you're not talking to me. Let me just tell you right now, everybody in this room is richer than most of the people in the, on the earth right now, okay? The fact that you could blow dry your hair means you're in the rich category when you look at the world and the poverty and the oppression that is happening. But also I know that it is hard not to compare. And so whether or not you're rich or not, whether or not you see yourself as rich or not, whether or not you've gotten your riches through legit ways or oppression ways, we can learn their, what James is saying about riches, the warnings. We can carry some principles with us no matter how we see our shopping standards or our bank account. So no matter the size of your savings account, these principles apply to your wealth. Um, one of the things is, do you see money as the fix-it ingredient for all your problems? I, I will confess that is my struggle. I have been where I could not afford things. I, one time when my kids were little, I legit went to visit my great aunt Thelma and I remember seeing a check for $4,000 on her kitchen table and it occurred to me to steal it. It did, it occurred to me to steal it. Now, I wouldn't have gotten very far because nobody at the bank in Jackson, Mississippi would have cashed it because I did not look like Aunt Thelma. But I knew then I had a problem. I was like, money, $4,000 that day would have helped me. I was pregnant. I, with my second child, I remember craving an egg and olive sandwich so badly. Now, you only do that from, from Mississippi, right? It's <laughs> like, that's what you craved? Um, but I wanted that salty, and I literally could not afford to go buy mayonnaise that day. I, I didn't have enough money, and I felt so stuck. That was not the way I'd grown up. I was some, we were doing something wrong. I was tempted to steal because, to me, money meant comfort it meant security it meant safety and I don't know you can do that with two dollars in your <coughs> bank account you can do that with two million dollars with your bank account um, how do you view money um, this on your handout I'm gonna just read from Isaiah 3 this is really convicting and we're gonna think about how this applies to us today 
Um, this was written by, this was Isaiah. This was God talking to his people in Judah and Jerusalem when they were living it up and there's so many people who were oppressed in their community. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings and the nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness, and instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Ouch. Okay, so what's that look like today? Like if you're walking down the street, what is an amulet? What is a headdress? I mean, we're not just talking about these cute headbands we all wear. And we're talking about, is there a haughtiness? And you're so obsessed with what you're wearing that you're not seeing the poor among you. This can, and I'm not even gonna start naming things because for everything I named, there may be a legit reason for having whatever an amulet would be today. But at least he's talking about purses. We got those, <laughs> you know. How much do you spend on a handbag? And to what cost is someone suffering because of that? I will drop, I will have so many, so many good reasons for dropping money on a mascara that costs more than in tipping better. I will so have reasons for doing that than sharing with someone who needs it more. And I'm saying that as one who put last extending mascara on today. Um, so what, what are the rich doing that are not living in the way, the rich that he's accusing? Well, first of all, they're hoarding money. They're just hoarding. They're just saving and saving and saving and saving. Not that saving is wrong. We see in other scripture that saving is actually godly. But this is something different. This is an excess. It's, it's almost like they're planning for something that might happen instead of planning for the thing that will happen, which is God coming back. Um. Now, hoarding can look like a lot of things. Maybe in COVID, you were a hoarder of toilet paper. <laughs> Maybe you were one of the ones because I couldn't find any. Um, for me, I tend to, ha to hoard things that I am so do not want to be caught out of. And I'm not talking about, of course, I have a backup supply of toilet paper because that is how I rock and roll. But I'm talking about things like, for me, mangoes. <laughs> I cannot find fresh cut mangoes. This sounds so first American problem. Um, I cannot find fresh mangoes, which is my favorite fruit to have in my refrigerator right now because I can just eat it out of the package with a fork. Mangoes, y'all, you cannot find them at Tom Thumb on Hewlett ever unless they're combined with another fruit, which wastes my time. But if I, so, the other day I found them somewhere else. Like I went to another grocery store and I was like, Mangoes. So do I buy just what I need? No, I get a backup pack of mangoes. And now they're going to go bad because I can't eat them all in time before I leave town. 
Um, what is the mango for you that you just hoard, even on a small level, where you're not trusting God? Secondly, they took advantage of workers by not paying them what they were owed. And this falls into that oppression category. Now, you may not own slaves, okay? Good. But do you tip? And do you always tip 18% on that little choice on the iPad at the restaurants? Or do you go, well, they didn't really do this. Okay, as one who used to wait tables, tip. <laughs> Just please tip. It doesn't matter if they forgot your iced tea on time. Just, I'm thinking, how can I be generous? Now, sure, I'm not talking about paying for things. I'm not getting into they don't deserve it or all that. All that. The focus of our lesson today is how can I be generous? How can I drop things that I don't need to make it to where someone who is poorer than I am could have some help? Maybe it's not paying your bills on time. Again, I had a side hustle business in um, Mississippi where I decorated houses for Christmas. I still have a client that does not pay me. And I'm telling you, it's not fun. It was my camp money and I needed it for my kids' camp. So things where if you have plenty of money and it's just, you're like, oh, what's 20 bucks? Well, it's easy to say that when you have $200. It's not easy to hear that when you don't have 20 bucks left. Um, how are we not paying our bills on time? How are we not generous? Also, they cheated and used fraud. They broke the rules for their game. This could be anything from not claiming things on customs when you come back into the country to cheating on taxes. Fourthly, they indulged in luxuries. And the only thing I could think about, besides my extra lash mascara, is um, how many cowboy boots does it take to complete your wardrobe? How many in your closet does it really take? How many boots do you have? Luxuries, luxuries, and just building up stuff in your closets. Um, and our small group leader, someone said, we're a society of storage units. That should tell us something. We have so much stuff that we can't even house it. We have to build houses for our extra stuff. So this type of behavior where you're stealing from others, where you're oppressing others, not paying them their wages, this type of behavior, James says, is like murder because of the harm that it does to others. And note to those on the opposite side of those oppressed, God is always on the side of those who are oppressed. So the big question for us in this room this morning is do you live for today without concern for the needy? Do you live without any concern for the needy? Or is your concern on the amulets and the headscarves and the purses and the perfume boxes and the cloaks and all the things Isaiah says they were mincing around on the street basically prancing around in their finery. Whew, that's hard to say. So this makes no sense to store and hoard and cheat and oppress because the money we're getting doesn't last past the grave. You can't, you literally can't take it with you. And James says it's not only dumb, it's actually harmful, it's corrosive to you. And again, you're hoarding for something that might happen. 
instead of planning for something that God is telling you will happen. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. Okay, but before we all freak out, we're all freaking out. First of all, to be wealthy is not a sin. Okay, it is not a sin. It is what James saying, an added risk. It is an added risk factor for humility and for godly living. So hear that. It is not a sin, but it does make your Christian walk harder, which is so ironic because I think money is going to make my life easier. <laughs> um, and really, money does make it easier in the short term. But God, James is more worried about their long-term and eternal value. It is really hard to be humble and rich at the same time. But if you look at Proverbs, in many verses, one is Proverbs 21.20, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Okay, again, saving having nice things that is not a sin is calling precious treasure and oil okay and that you accumulate that and have that in your house is in a wise man's dwelling he's prudent but a foolish man devours it you picture someone who's just living it up and just just going through all the money all so fast but also, Jesus says to save for heaven. I'm gonna let's look up Luke 12:32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We hear some echoes of James' words about moth. Store up things that will not decay. Store up the things that will be with you for eternity. So, yes, save, be prudent in this life. Proverbs says to do that. And then Jesus says, I'm going to give you something so great. Make sure the money bags you have are the type that don't rust and don't corrode. Make sure they're the ones that are with you in heaven. Meaning that there is something about how we live here that impacts what we enjoy in the next life. Those kind of investments be focused on. So, and Paul gives us several ways in his writings to use wealth, and this was just helpful for me. One is food and covering. You gotta go, you can't go out there naked, ladies. You gotta wear something, okay? Food, the normal things we need, and things to enjoy. This treasure, this fine oil and fine treasure, things to enjoy, but also to be generous with others. We see Paul and Paul's writing talking about things that they share all the time in the early church. So basically what I want to know is given all that, it's good to save, it is okay to be wealthy, it is hard, it's harder for you if you're a Christian and you're wealthy. How do, how do I know what the difference is? How do I decide to buy something or not? How do I know if I'm sinning or not? How do I know what my heart is doing because really James and God are so much more 
talking about your heart here, a, a presumptuous and arrogant heart, a heart that's dependent on stuff and not God. Well, going back to our previous lessons, you got to pray and ask God for wisdom. You just need to straight up say, I don't know what to do. Will you please help me know what to do? Is this a good purchase, a selfish purchase? Is this a purchase to enjoy or am I hoarding? Secondly, humility is the key attitude. Humility to know that every good gift is from above. Humility that you're not better than other people just because you have more stuff. Humility has to be part of the heart makeup. And thirdly, practice generosity. And this is where, even at your tables, if you could brainstorm, okay, how do I be generous? So back to my struggle with money, and about the same time I almost stole from Grant Thelma, <laughs> um, there was a sermon and it talked about generosity. And y'all, I just am a hoarder at heart because I am the type that imagines all the bad things that will happen. And I will feel guilty if I was not prepared. And so that translates to I can never have enough money, right? Because you would go through anything like that if something bad happened. So it's really a false illusion of stability. But how this sermon challenged me to ask for a generous heart. Like, I can't just do that on my own. I'm broken. That's my struggle. Your struggle, you may, you may be able to just fan out those 20s all over the place. I was like, ooh, let me save the 20s and, and not tell my husband I have them, you know, because if he knows, he's going to borrow 20 bucks from me, and I don't want to do that. Um, so, and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like, never let your husband know how much money you really have. But anyway, that is not what to do, ladies. Um, uh, but one of the ways God really, and this is just, I don't say this because this is what you can do. I'm saying this is a, a practical way that God helped me, is I have to have a rule of thumb or I want, if I don't, st I, I just need to have something to stick by, like something, a rule that helps me keep what I want to do. And so I decided instead of a tithe of 10% and just on my money, like my birthday money, money I would earn on the side, instead of 10%, I would do 15%. And that little extra 5% could be fun money to give away. It could be that margin. It could be like they did the sheaves at the edge of the field. It could be if my friend's child was going on a mission trip. It could be if my friend's um, husband left and she, you know, at Christmas, we would all combine cash to give her money to spend on her kids at Christmas. Um, it would just, it's just fun God money. Just, and I know that sounds such like a baby step, but there was a big step for me. And it, it also was something that I could handle. I could handle it and I could use that rule of thumb to keep me accountable. Because if it was just every now and then I'll give away extra money, I never would have done it. Because there was always something I needed. And I have to say, God has been so generous to me. There was one time I got birthday money, which was like my source of income. When I had my birthday, my mama would give me a check. Um, and I needed to get curtains for Will Duncan's room and I couldn't get them because of the 5%. That's what it would have, I, I just, I didn't have enough birthday money. And 
my mother-in-law found fabric for a dollar a yard and sewed the cutest little balloon shades. And I remember thinking, God provided that. I didn't need that 5% extra. Now, it's not going to always happen like that. Sometimes you give stuff away and you know what? You don't get your stools. You don't get your fancy whatever, that purse you wanted. It went towards something else. But I will say God generally outgives you. He generally outgives you. Um, so for you, it may be, I'm always going to tip 25%. I'm always going to uh, do a Christmas bonus for my workers. Um, I'm always going to be just really kind when people who work for me need it. I don't know what it is, but those are the ways we need to think, ladies. We need to think, how can I be generous practically? Maybe it's like your friend needs a gift, like a little happy, and you just go, instead of the $15 happy, I'm going to get her the $50 happy, even though it makes my stomach go, ah, I don't spend $50 on anybody. Whatever it is, if you, and I'm just saying risk. I'm just saying, I'm not saying spend $50 when you don't have it and run up credit card debt. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying be liberal with those things that are not natural for you when you do have the money because it is real natural for me to be liberal about makeup and about my shirt and about my outfit but not as liberal when it comes to sharing with others especially those who need it more than i do okay so lastly our last chunk of passage is verse seven be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the earthly I mean, the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Okay, just to wrap today's lesson up, Jesus is coming. He is at the door. He is coming. So what's interesting is um, we see all these commands, but each one has a forward-looking element to it so in verse 7 be patient as you wait for him to come and the forward look is until the coming of the Lord then in verse 8 be patient establish your hearts why the coming of the Lord is at hand then verse 9 do not grumble because the judge is standing at the door then verse 11 remain steadfast why because the Lord has an end or a purpose for your patience and then do not falsely swear. Why? Because condemnation is coming. So there's this interesting just forward-lookingness to this chunk of Scripture. So how do I wait? Well, you look ahead. <laughs> you remember it's not all right here. Remember, high school was only four years. It was only four years. And the minute they called your name out and you walked across the stage, they forgot you. It was okay. You're done. They're on to the junior class because they're the seniors now. You know, it doesn't matter that you were the homecoming queen or you made the track record. It's, it disappears. It's so short-lived. 
you look ahead and you work like a farmer, what's the farmer do? He waits knowing that something is happening, something is active, you just can't see it. There are things happening underground and there are things you can't control like the rain. You can't control God, but as sure as the seed is sprouting and doing things and germinating under the soil, God is at work in your heart. He has a purpose for your pain. He has a purpose for your suffering. He has a purpose in the waiting. And he says, be steadfast. This means res resolutely firm and unwavering. So it's a little different from patience. And she has a great definition of difference in, in the book Courtney does. And patience is waiting, but steadfastness is almost like an active waiting. And the closest thing I can think of, again, I've said I'm not an athlete. And so my steadfastness picture is doing a plank in my exercise class. Mm -hmm. Okay, I am like, please tell me how long I have to hold this. The worst is when they don't tell you. They're just saying, hold a plank, hold a plank. And you're just like, I'm holding it, but I need a, I need a goal because I'm going to just give right now if it's forever. Um, and so steadfastness is when you're shaking and your muscles are clenching and you're holding on and you're not moving. That steadfastness is active. It creates a sweat. It also builds muscle. And the prophets did this. Why prophets and why Job? He, he says, look at them. The prophets were just abused and had a hard time, but their, the goal was for God's word to go out, and they did it, and they waited for something that was better, that was coming in the next life. They had an ultimate prophet, but it was not an earthly prophet. It was a heavenly prophet. And Job's the same way. He was faithful, and he held his plank to the end, even though we saw him shake, and we saw his knees think about going down, and he was sweating. And in, and in that, Job knew God better than before it happened. In Job 42, 5, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. That's what Job got out of his steadfastness. So I want to encourage y'all, as you hold your plank, if other people have oppressed you, if you have borne the tracks of people uh, hurting you to make money and to be rich or whether you are suffering in anything whether mental illness a hard marriage difficulty in parenting just depression anxiety worrying about where the next mascara will come from whatever it is for you that God has you waiting holding that plank like Job did God makes you see him better in that what a glorious reward for hardness. But then he has this interesting little side note. In this suffering, in this holding your plank to hang on in your steadfastness, he talks about the tongue again. What is it with James in our mouths? Oh my goodness, I'm getting, I'm getting sick of it. But isn't that when you're so likely to spout off? When you're in pain. When you're holding a plank, when that is the most likely time when I was getting all my kids out of the house that I would say something I'd regret. I'd be angry because I was panicking because it was like hard. Um, when you're hurting, 
It is real easy, like Job's wife said, curse God and die. Let it be over. Think, think temporary. But also it's when I tend to grumble. I'm unhappy, I'm hurting, so I grumble against other people. Maybe you're grumbling against people in your church family. Maybe it's saying stuff you don't mean and you're not going to do. Uh, this would be how most women break this, this command is doing these little pinky swears. Like, oh yeah, I would love to do that. Let me get back to you on that. We all know what that means. We're not doing that. That's not what we're doing. Um, oh yeah, we'll see about that. Just say, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> that would take a lot of bravery for me. But that's that we're doing it without even realizing it. That James is talking about, they had these O's that had loopholes in them. And that's why I call them a little pinky swear or like you're crossing your fingers behind your back. There are things that, they're loopholes. We're not going to really do that, are we? But we just are saying the right thing to get us out of the situation. That's what happens when you're suffering and when you're impatient. That's when your mouth can mess up. My friend Elise, uh, my daughter was backing out of her driveway, which had a really gorgeous stone wall that they had paid a lot of money for. And she did not want her to hit her gorgeous stone wall. Neither did I, because I couldn't have afforded to fix it. But she told Eloise, she goes, you can't have a bad rat going backwards one mile an hour. You cannot mess up with your mouth if you're going one mile an hour. Being slow, slowing it down, being patient, being steadfast yelling at kids with threats, talking bad about your sisters in Christ, saying quickly you'll do something when you just want to get out of the situation. You can't do that if you really slow it down. So in summary, if it's not money, if it's not um, getting our way with our lives, if it's being patient and holding a plank, what is it that makes me truly happy? And Psalm 16 says that that is found in the presence of God. In your presence is fullness of joy. This is how we can wait with patience because the fullness of God's mercy and compassion, remember he says he's full of mercy and compassion, that is what you have with God. That outspends any bank account. Psalm 4, 7 says, You have put joy in my heart more than when grain and new wine abound. More than the bumper crop, more than the payday, that, more than that bonus that was over your expectation, the thing that really makes our hearts sing eternally and that lasts much more than silver and gold is this presence of God and knowing Him. That's what we want to ask for Him. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for that sort of joy and contentment that only comes from knowing you and seeing you with our eyes and knowing you sometimes in trials is what gets us there. We pray that you would give us steadfastness and patience. You would convict us of our sin where we're hoarding or loving money more than you and that you would make us generous, make us kind, make us have mercy and help us to see others' needs more than our desires. In Christ's name, amen. Thank mm -hmm. you.